This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today I'm going to cover The Sacred Romance by Brent Curtis and John Eldridge, Drawing Closer to the Heart of God. This is book three of 52 for my 2020 reading list. Please do not let the religious title or subtitle scare you. I'm going to attempt to make this episode relatable irrespective of your background or your beliefs. Also, this is my hinge book. I have one hinge book. Let me describe what that means. Behind me where I sit right now, I have about five bookshelves that are almost completely full of books. I have not read all of those books, but I've read a lot of them, and they all hinge upon the sacred romance. If I had not read this book, I would not have the love of literature, the love of books that I do, and I almost certainly would not have the Books of Titans Project. This is one of the most important books in my life. Despite the title, it's not a cheesy romance book with Fabio on the cover or something like that. This is a book about the heart's desire. And let me contrast that for a minute with with the mind. So we've got the mind and the heart. The mind, that's controllable. If Let's say I'm reading a nonfiction book, uh, say a business book. I, I can determine, when I'm reading that, I can determine what I will implement after I read that book. I can determine what I will change in my life as a result of reading that book. It's safe. I'm, I'm never going to get broadsided by a business book. I can, contr- can control it to some degree. But what about the heart? I think of it in this way. The heart is not controlled, and it has the tendency to be wild. It might be moved by a story, and I might start crying. It may lead me to say, wait, wait, what just happened? What just happened in that movie that, that broadsided me? I was not prepared for that. That did not fit into my controlled environment. That reminded me of some desire that I have deep down. That reminded me of some sort of a longing that I have. This is a book about those longings. It asks the questions of why we have these longings inside of us and then proposes a reason why they are there. So this episode is going to be a little different than, than other episodes of the podcast. And there's, there's a few reasons for that. First, I have not read this book in over 20 years. I just reread it for the first time since 1998, when I was 18 years old. When I read it that first time, it, it flipped my life around. It, it had a tremendous impact. But it's been 22 years, and so I'm, I'm, I was curious to see if it would have that same sort of an impact if I would read it this time and think it was super cheesy and wonder what had originally drawn me to it, or if it would even have a bigger impact this time. Um, so first off, I, I've not read it in 22 years. This is the first time I've reread it. And then secondly, the reason this episode will be a little different is this book is deeply tied into my personal story. And, I, and I'll share some of that in, in, in this episode. As for the structure of this episode, uh, I'm going to have it be two segments. The first segment will be an introduction to the book, the authors, my initial reaction, who I think should read the book, and then I'll close out that first segment with with some quotes from the book that encapsulate many of the big ideas. 
The second segment will be the one thing, my one key takeaway from the book. But I'm going to describe the one key takeaway from 1998, 22 years ago, and then how I can directly tie that to this reading project. So let's go into segment one here, and let's get one definition out of the way. What in the world is romance? And the title of this book, The Sacred Romance. So what what is romance? The authors define it as the yearning set within us, the longing for transcendence, the desire to be a part of something larger than ourselves, to be a part of something out of the ordinary that is good. So a couple further things along that word of romance. It comes in two deep desires. One, the longing for adventure that requires something of us. And second, the desire for intimacy that that to have somebody truly know us for who we are, for, for ourselves. And this romance, it cannot be fulfilled. At least it cannot be fulfilled within this life this lifetime. It keeps pushing us on. We we keep having the longing. There's there's nothing here on earth. There's, there's no person that that can completely fulfill that longing. So uh, the, uh, the quote the authors have is, this sacred romance set within all of our hearts, it will not go away. And they quote C.S. Lewis saying, the, the, this romance is the incommunicable and the unappeasable want. That is amazing. The incommunicable, the incommunicable, I can't even say the word, can't even describe it. And the unappeasable want, the unfulfilled want. So the premise of this book is the authors maintain that there is a sacred romance, a sacred longing, because it was placed there by God. So we have the word romance, this yearning set within us, this longing, but it's sacred. It, it was placed there by God. Along the lines of, of the famous St. Augustine quote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. If you're uncomfortable with the word sacred romance, so am I. I, I. I I just have this vision in my head of, of, of a book with Fabio on the cover. Uh, so maybe maybe another way to think of it is a holy longing. You know what you long for. That it, it comes to us almost daily. Uh, maybe it's right when you wake up or it's right before you go to bed or it's when you're watching a movie or, or reading a book and the, these longings, are, are there inside of you. you. You know they're there and you know what you long for. So thinking of it in, in, in the sense of a holy longing, it's, it's something that's set apart. It's unique. It's special. And it's tied to the idea of God. So this holy longing, it's either a longing either for God or it's a longing that was put there by God. So the question posed in this book, has God left us all with this longing to lead us towards home, to lead us towards God himself, or to lead us towards uh, eternal life or heaven. That, that's kind of the idea. So no matter where you are on the religious spectrum, just take a step back for a second and think about that. That is an incredible question to ponder. We all know that we have some sort of a longing, but why is it there? And was it put there by someone? Was it put there by God? And was it put there to lead us in a particular direction? That's just a really good question to ponder, irrespective of where, where, where you're coming from uh, as, as you listen 
to this episode. So let's go on to the authors here. The authors are John Eldridge and Brent Curtis. This book was published in 1997, and Brent, Brent Curtis was killed in a climbing accident in May 1998 at the age of 50. So the year after this was published, published Brent Curtis died. John and Brent were a team. They were great friends. Uh, so this was a, a deeply tragic loss for, for John Eldridge. Uh, John has written a number of books since uh, The Sacred Romance. Uh, two of the most famous are The Journey of Desire and Wild at Heart. Journey of Desire talked a lot about Brent and the, the accident, uh, the climbing accident. And then Wild at Heart was, was really geared more towards men and uh, takes a lot of the ideas of, of the sacred romance, but, but really geared more towards, uh, towards men. As for who suggested the book, um, no one in the sense of, I, I usually talk about where I first heard the book. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm going from that side of it, I, I actually first heard about it from John Eldridge himself. So John Eldridge, uh, I heard him speak in 1998, and I'll talk about that, that speech later on in this episode, but it had quite an impact. And so I, I bought his book after hearing him speak. And uh, that's, that's how I first came across the sacred romance. I read it between March 5th and, and March 9th of 2020. So I just finished it uh, a few weeks ago. March 9th was my birthday was my 40th birthday. So I finished it on my 40th birthday. It took me five days to read to 210 page book. So that's 42 pages per day. Took me six hours, nine minutes total time. As for my my initial reaction, uh, I'll I'll take it back to 1998 first. And that initial reaction was it changed my life. And here's, here's why in 1994, I had become a Christian. And what that means is that I asked Jesus to take over my life, to change me. Uh, I then sought out to learn as much as I could about this faith. But I never knew what to do with the things that stirred my heart. So kind of back to that, that example at the beginning, where I talked about the mind and, and the heart. Uh, my faith at the beginning was, was, there were heart aspects of it, but it was really about my mind and, and learning. And, and those were good things, but I, I never knew what to do with the movies that stirred my heart or the works of art or the music or the beauty, um, what, what were those things? Why, why were they stirring my heart? Were they, could they be connected to my faith? Were they part of my faith? Uh, were they glimpses of something bigger? So when I heard John speak, and then when I read this book, it answered that aspect of my life, the, 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 the heart side of things. I'll get into that later in this episode, but, uh, initial reaction, it, it had that profound impact on my, on my life. As for who should read the book, this is a, first off, it's a, it's a book written for a Christian audience. So first and foremost, it's for Christians, but I'd like to expand that out. And I, I think it's a book for those wanting to confront their inner life. I think the question of why you have these longings that nothing on earth really ever seems to fulfill is a very important question to ask. Perhaps it's one of the most crucial questions to ask, and this this book goes into that. Also, as for who should read the book, if you liked Joseph Campbell, I think there is something here for you. Campbell's the author of of the the 
hero with a thousand faces. So the, the idea of the hero's journey. And uh, in that book, Campbell found a similar structure across myths from a variety of cultures and time periods. And he described this as the hero's journey and, and then talked about the myriad ways that it would show up across myths. And Campbell ta- talks about art as leading us as well, but in leading us in our own hero's journey. What the sacred romance does is it offers a broader viewpoint, not just saying that art leads to help us in our own personal journeys, but rather that art leads us outside of ourselves to a longing ultimately fulfilled in God. I'm no Campbell expert, but I, I did read The Hero with a Thousand Faces as, as part of this book project. And as far as I remember, Campbell doesn't take the step back and ask why all myths have a similar structure. He just reports that they do. However, the sacred romance takes that step back and posits that the reason stories and myths, music, art, and beauty have a similar structure is that they have a similar author, God. And further to that, that the real hero's journey is not God as author, but God as lead character in the person of Jesus Christ. And that all stories relate to and what has been called the greatest story ever told. So with that, the hero's journey's myths don't just happen to have similarities across cultures and times, but they tell of a grander, larger story that weaves through the heart of every single person. I'm going to read a, a few quotes here from, from the book that, that encapsulates some of these ideas. This, this, uh, this set of, of two paragraphs shows up at the beginning of the book, and then it shows up again in the, in the epilogue. So I'm going to read it as it... As it uh, as it is in the in the epilogue, the sacred romance. Uh, so again, think of it as, as the, the, that longing, that holy longing, calls to us every moment of our lives. It whispers to us on the wind, invites us through the laughter of good friends, reaches out to us through the touch of someone we love. We've heard it in our favorite music, sensed it at the birth of our first child, been drawn to it while watching the shimmer of a sunset on the ocean. It is even present in times of great personal suffering. The illness of a child, the loss of a marriage, the death of a friend. Something calls to us through those experiences like these and rouses an inconsolable longing deep within our heart, wakening us in us a yearning for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. This longing is the most powerful part of any human personality. It fuels our search for meaning for wholeness, for a sense of being truly alive. However we may describe this deep desire, it is the most important thing about us, our heart of hearts, the passion of our life. And the voice that calls to us in this place is none other than the voice of God. Towards the end of the epilogue, uh, a few other other, uh, quotes here. Our acts of remembering must therefore involve both essential truths and dramatic narrative. I believe we need to hold the creeds in one hand and our favorite forms of art in the other. There are films, books, poems, songs, and paintings I return to again and again for some deep reason in my heart. Taking a closer look, I I see that they all tell me about some part of the sacred romance. They help wake me to a deeper remembrance. As Don Hudson has said, art is, in the final analysis, a window on heaven. And the final one here, the heart cannot live on facts and principles alone. It speaks the language of story, and we must rehearse the truths of our faith in a way that captures the heart and not just the mind.
Now on to the final segment here and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. But I'm, I'm going to describe the one key takeaway I had from reading it the first time through in 1998 and started off in the form of a, of a question to, to provide a, a framework for, for sharing the one, one thing. Why did this book have such an impact on me? When I, when I saw John Eldridge speak, he used movie clips in his presentation. He quoted literature, referenced poetry. And the movies he showed, those were movies that had moved, moved me. They were movies that I couldn't stop thinking about. Movies that I would watch over and over, despite knowing every single line in the movie. And at that time in my life, I was wondering, why do these things move me? And how are they tied to my faith and to God, if, if at all? What Eldridge did was to create a connection point for me between my faith and art and the inner longings of my heart. I had not been able to connect these before reading the sacred romance. So that is my one thing. It provided a context in which to approach the great works. It produced a desire in me to read the best literature, to study the best art, to listen to the greatest composers, all to encounter these little glimpses of the divine. This book gave me permission to do that. I, I think of, of since, since that time and in, in the works that have become my favorite works now. Here, here are some of them. The Marriage of Figaro, the opera. I mean, who would have ever thought I would, I would be into opera? But I, I got I got deep into opera uh, not not long after reading this book a, f- a few years later, and Marriage of Figaro by by Mozart, uh, w- one of my favorites. At the very end, you 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 see the count the count throughout the opera. You've you've seen him for three hours, and he is a womanizer. He's a, a an awful man, and at the end, he is confronted with what he has done and who he is, and he breaks down and. Throughout the opera, he's, he's this, this powerful voice. And at the very end, he's he, just this weak voice. And he, he says to his wife, the, the countess, he says, Contessa, perdono, perdono, perdono. He says it three times, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And the, his wife, the countess, she, she forgives him. And it's just this beautiful, it's just her voice with, with a few instruments in the background of her forgiving him. And it provides this glimpse of the divine, of the of this larger story, I think of Les Miserables, the the book and and the movie. Uh, I read the book in 2016. It took a, it took a long time, but I, but I finally made my way way through it. Uh, and and I think of the glimpses of of the movie of of that uh, that priest or that abbey at the at the beginning, where he gives Jean Valjean a second chance. At life, Jean Valjean has a, can have a new life because this priest, uh, even though Jean Valjean has stolen from him, the the priest gives him even more than what he had stolen in in a, in a way that he can start a new life, and because of that, Jean Valjean helps people throughout his life, and you come to this beautiful scene at the end of the movie where he uh, Jean Valjean is dying. And the, the person that leads him to the next world is the woman that he helped ease her suffering at the end of her life. And then to take her, he took her, her child and raised her child for her. Upon entering the, the next world, the first person he comes across is 
that priest who, who gave him that second chance of life. So just this beautiful picture of, of, of eternity, of, of the things that matter. I think of Van Gogh and in looking at, at Van Gogh, uh, again, not long after reading this book, I lived in Atlanta at the time and the, I lived a mile from the, the museum and I, I would go watch, uh, I would go look at the Van Gogh exhibit that they had there. I would be the first person there, and most people would start at the bottom level. The Van Goghs were on the top. I would go straight to the top. I would go straight to the Van Goghs, and I was the only person in front of these paintings for, for 15, 20 minutes before everyone else worked their way up. And they had one painting there by Van Gogh, and it was a painting of an olive tree grove. And the story behind that was, was beautiful. Van Gogh had a friend, Paul Gauguin, and another painter, and... Paul Gauguin painted himself as Christ in one of his paintings, and Van Gogh just hated that painting. He thought it was crude. He thought it, 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 it did not depict Jesus. And Van Gogh told Gauguin, he said, I can paint Jesus better in a, a field of olive, grove, uh, olive groves than you can by painting yourself as Jesus. And so you get to view that and see if, if Van Gogh accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Or I think of Gladiator, the movie, uh, where the main character, Maximus, he is killed at the end, and uh, a slave who was with Maximus and was set free by Maximus uh, says at the end of the movie, now we are free. I will see you again, but not yet. Not yet. And just these different glimpses, I, I, I don't think I would have looked at these things in the same way. This book gave me permission to do so. Maybe I didn't need permission, but it, but it helped me make that, those connection points. But there's also a warning in this book, and it comes in the form of a quote from C.S. Lewis. And he says this that, uh, about, about these, these works of art, the, these, these things. It is not in them. It only comes through them, and what comes through them is longing. They are not the thing that itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. End quote. So I, it's a great warning. The point is not these works of art. It's not the operas. It's not the, the sunset. It's not the beauty. These things are, are connecting to a longing that we have inside of us. And so don't, don't mistake these as the as the endpoint. These are these are kind of the the funnel or the the avenue where it leads to something deeper. So we can perhaps see how the longing is leading somewhere. I I love pointing these things out when I see them. It's a big part of this reading project. I love reading books and then pointing out key things, key things that sparked my desire or my my longings. And I love pointing these things out. In, in books that I read. So after reading The Sacred Romance, I started reading literature. I mean, I'd read some in high school, but it was forced. But I started reading it for the simple pleasure of reading literature. I read Crime and Punishment, and I, I was blown away that a book could have that much power. After reading Sacred Romance, I, I read more of the classics. I read The Scarlet Letter, Moby Dick, The Picture of Dorian Gray, I wanted to see this hero's journey, but not the hero's journey that Campbell, Joseph Campbell talks about, but the hero's journey that, that the sacred romance talks about. 
the hero's journey of, of Jesus and that being kind of the prototype of all other hero journeys. And the fact that it, it resonates that there is a hero's journey across all cultures and times. What if the reason for that is that it is pointing to the main story that is written on all of our hearts? It's a, it's a question to ponder. So my main purpose of this entire book project is to seek truth in the world's best books. And that is a direct result of having read this book. Again, one of the quotes I read earlier. There are films, books, poems, songs, and paintings I return to again and again for some deep reason in my heart. Taking a closer look, I see that they all tell me about some part of the sacred romance. They help wake me to a deeper remembrance. As Don Hudson has said, art is, in the final analysis, a window on heaven. Now, you may think that is uh, completely insane or, or naive, but... Uh, it completely changed my life. I didn't know how I was going to view this book reading it the second time around this year. I was, I was actually a little worried. I was wondering if I would, I would think I was, uh, I was naive myself or, or dumb for having, having gotten so much out of this or having it impact me so much in my approach to art and literature. Um, but it, it's also hard reading it for a second time. Because reading it the first time, it had so altered my mindset that I, it's hard to, to go back to the book uh, having that pre-mindset, pre uh, be, having before the book. So it, it, was a, it was a different experience of reading it the second time. Um, but I guess just, it, it just reminded me of, of how much it did impact me over over the last 22 years. And I guess it helped me to, to remember all of, the, all of those ways. And then just even seeing my bookshelves in my office every day, uh, that reminder of, of this is my hinge book, that it all started from this. And I, I don't think this will necessarily be your hinge book, but I have found that uh, people, when, you, when, when I ask people about what book started it all for them, most people can remember a certain book and, and they can think of their hinge book. So to recap, I'm, I'm very thankful for this book. It's one of those that was there at the right time at the right place in my life. It introduced me to people like CS Lewis, uh, actually a reintroduction because I had read uh, Narnia when I was a kid, but I, I was not aware of his other works. It introduced me to people like Dostoevsky, uh, to, to poetry, to, to different art uh, it gave me that permission to to seek it and, and to tie it to my faith and to to tie it to the longings of my heart and to to to, to delve into these things with joy and to, to try to find these things to, to have that context going into it. It re- it introduced me to works that have become uh, what are described in, in the sacred romance as as life music. Uh, those songs that that will always be a part of you. Uh, I, I have a playlist that it, it, it's almost like my life music. Like it, it's stuff that if I know I'm about to die, like the, these are the songs that I, I want to listen to one last time. Um, it introduced me to the works that have become my life companions, the books. And it, it, it would indirectly led to, or perhaps even directly led to the start of this reading project. That's going to do it for this episode. Um, 
I know it's a little different than than the upper, other episodes, but it it was a book that just had such a, a big impact on my life that um, I wanted to share why and, and and how that came about. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email me at eric at epr <laughs> eric at booksoftitans.com. That's Eric with a K. So E R I K at booksoftitans.com. If you thought I'm completely insane for for uh, what I said in this episode or naive still you know, write to me. I, I'd love to hear that. Uh, or if something sparked uh, uh, interest in you um, from what I said, please let me know that as well. I'd, I'd love to, to chat about that. You can follow the Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And also the website is stock full of resources to help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. We are living in a, in a crazy time right now. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I turned 40 on March 9th. And I had a, uh, my wife threw me a surprise party on March 8th. And we were kind of joking about coronavirus at that party. We kind of knew it was probably coming, but we didn't understand the full ramifications. At the, at the end of that week, everything had changed. And one thing to remember right now in this time is you need to have an outlet. And books can provide that outlet for you right now. You need to have something that takes you out of the the constant news and, and constantly trying to f- find out what's next and what what is the government doing to to alleviate some of the pain or or what are the new rules what can and can't we do and and should we uh, do we have to close down things and am I going to be okay with my business and what about my family how am I going to provide these are big worries but please also have an outlet where you're you're reading or doing something to take to to take your mind off of that i've i've been running in the mornings as well and that has helped so much just to see nature taking its course and and the trees budding and the grass getting green and and the birds singing um just books and and being outside have, have really helped put things into context so it's a crazy time but 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 stick with it and um, and get into reading. If, if you need some suggestions, please visit the, the website or, or hit me by email there. So uh, I'll be back um, either next week or the week after with, with the next, next episode. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. Mm-hmm.